This is Liquid Gold. Where we go to the far ends of the earth to find delicious spirits. Welcome back to Liquid Gold right here on the We Own This Town podcast network. I'm your host today, Mike Wolf, along with my co-host and booze news anchor, Mr. Kenneth Deadman. Kenneth, how are you today? It's so great to see you. I'm doing great, Mike. Doing really great. Sporting the Sean Kemp Reeboks. New Reeboks. Uh, a nice classic working man's blue shirt and a nice Russell's Reserve bourbon hat. Underwear. I say this a lot, but this is a real... Oh, he's also wearing underwear. I say this a lot, but this is a very... Hot, you know? <laughs> this is a very special episode today because we have someone here from a long ways away. He is the man behind Tracal, the mastermind, the distiller, the romantic tailspinner. Uh, all the way from Patagonia, he makes Tracal. And his name is Sebastian Gomez. How are you, sir? Thanks so much for coming to Nashville. Oh, mate, I'm so... Thank you. I'm well, despite what American Airlines did to me yesterday. Yeah. I was, I was roughed up there. It's tough flying these days. <laughs> yeah, no, the romance is, is long gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no Pan Am, uh, endless Bloody Marys. You know, cigar smoking in, uh, in the front of the plane, uh, playing playing for money. Yeah. Card games. Uh, no, none of that, uh, sadly. I, um, I'm so happy to be here. First time in Nashville. Always wanted to come here. I'm a, I love music, mm -hmm. I play guitar, and um, my brother was in a band, and that was his sort of roadie when we were kids. Oh, that's awesome. And, and, and I just, I just love the vibe the moment I got down here. I mean, and it's wonderful. We heard the word that you made it to... Uh, Robert's Western World last night, a Nashville rite of passage. A couple of, a couple of places, but the first thing I did is I parked my backside at the bar, and this guy Tom made me the fried bologna uh, thing, and <laughs> and I had a PBR, and the uh, guy was playing Johnny Cash, and I think I was thinking, right, this is my frequency. I'm loving this. That's amazing. I'm loving it. Yeah. What was your um, What was your take? What was your impression of of downtown Nashville? Because that's a uh, that's a pretty unique place in this country and in the world, probably. Well, you know what? What, what I got was uh, a sense of joy for me, in personally, because having gone through the whole pandemic episode, just to see people out having fun, whatever they do, yeah, is great. Yeah, I couldn't care less, and I'm not going to judge anybody's good time. I've never done that in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, what I saw is a a mixture of you know just straight out culture and identity from the place and then i saw some really cool kids playing covers of britney spears and i don't know what else they were doing but in a like a rock style and then i mean what i saw was a lot of great musicians what so, uh britney yeah. spears song uh i can't even remember you know what what the hell it was called but it, there Damn was a yeah. lot of there was a lot mm -hmm. of jumping going around and there was a <laughs> There was there was a Ricky Martin Viva la, uh, Living La Vida Roca play oh, like sure. with, with like death metal <laughs> overtones wow. like, and I'm going uh, these kids can play and they're just having fun and uh, and a lot of I saw a lot of people having fun a lot of people drinking all sorts of things it was hot as balls yesterday it's pretty hot here so yeah. there's a lot of beer being drunk yeah um, gotta stay hydrated but a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I didn't stay out too late. I, I was just destroyed from the trip, but I, I'm glad I got to walk around. That's awesome. Now, what kind of guitar do you play? What kind of music do you get into? I, I, I've i always liked sort of like the older school blues and then that transition to like Bluesbreaker, uh, Rick Mayo, 
Uh, sorry, don't know what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rick Mayall is an English comedian that came out of my 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 growing up in the in the UK. You know the the sort of the Eric Clapton, then the Led Zeps and the and the Pink Floyd's. I, I sort of went down that road a lot. Uh, love Rory Gallagher. Oh, right on. Big fan of Rory Gallagher. Oh, cool. In fact, I have a Strat and a Vox amp just to try to sound vaguely in the ballpark. You know nice. I mean? That's great. That's what we do. You know, you, you uh, tend to buy the guitars and the equipment of your heroes. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a Rickenbacker for years. Yeah. And all because of Guy from Fugazi played a Rickenbacker. Peter Buck played a Rickenbacker. Tom Petty played a Rickenbacker. Pete Townsend. It was just like, yeah, that's kind of how has a sound to it yeah um so yeah i we think tend you, to gravitate you start to that. there and then you know with the pandemic i'm i'm writing songs and this is all for me i mean there's no pretenses i guess you'd call me a hobbyist or i don't know but i just love music and i love live music and in fact with the brand tracal we do a lot to uh back in chile to to support live bands especially where in patagonia there's sort of like this kind of grungy-ish attitude of like uh Rock Nacional, National Rock. Oh, cool. And there's like, uh, there's a couple of bars where they, bands, local bands play, and it's a lot of fun. And it's actually very much tied into the, to the uh, DNA of the, of, of uh, the identity of uh, Tracal down there. You know, Neat. Because, because we, we make it like, it's funny, I come to the US and it's considered a, 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 a premium product, a mm. very unique product from an exotic location there Hmm. they've assimilated it as their own so it's like you know they're playing their own rock and they're they're having the bowl of tracal like you guys are drinking a bowl of jack daniels you know Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah they're fueled by tracal yeah. Oh, okay. They, oh, we do a lot of fueling. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> for them. I bet. I've been fueled by Tracal before, and I enjoyed my experience. But let's get into it. What is Tracal? Because I'm sure our listeners are dying to know. Some of them, I'm sure, industry folks around town and around the country. Uh, but yeah, let's hear it from the man himself. What is Tracal? You know what? I mean, I, I tell you what it is for me. Because once it's out there, I think my mother's an artist, and she's always mentioned that. So once you put the out the art out there it's no longer yours mm, right uh, like a song it, or something yeah if it if it means something you know lucian freud said that um the best definition of art is any object or activity which whose only purpose to exist is to be itself mm. so tracal is just no longer mine it's it was never mine mm. i never i never made it to be mine it's got my signature on the bottle because the guy that designed the bottle, who's my one of my dearest friends in all life, he's a the artist that says you have to put the signature on a bottle so it's, people understand there's someone behind it, mm. like it's an uh, you're the author of it. Uh, but I always always fought that. Basically, what I'm saying is that I was just the guy that put the pot in Patagonia. Mm. All I was ever trying to do was to give the place its own identity in a bottle. It already has its own identity. I was sure. just putting it in a bottle. And when you put the distillery where the ingredients are that go into to Tracal. Um, so you must have had some foresight. You had some vision. Uh, or, like an artist or, thinking about. Or madness. Yeah. Because even, even my, my family always support, supported me. But they were saying, you're, you're, you're a little nuts. <laughs> and I talked to other industry people because I, I had worked in the industry before, uh, never making booze. But it was like I talked to some... Some people and they said, "Oh no, no! Listen, if you want to, if you want something that that's you know consistent and cost effective, and you can you can make money quicker and stuff like that, bring the ingredients to some other place or contract it out." Mm-hmm. And I said, "No, I'm sorry. 
we're bringing the distillery to the ingredients, not the ingredients to the distillery. Mm. So we went and actually, we transitioned from basically a warehouse where I was sleeping in the cellar to a place now that we're renting. And now we're looking to, to buy our own uh, location and, and mm. move the pots and build more pots. But Trakao itself is just trying to put, put the essence or the spirit or the Patagonian spirit in a bottle. I, I'm a big fan of the history of booze. I mm. think it's, it's one of the most passionate enterprises in humanity. It's one of the oldest. Okay? Sure. It's certainly one of the Sweet. oldest technologies. Mm. And um, how does a... Uh, any sort of aguardiente or moonshiny alcoholic distillate become a category of something else because it's like a it's like an evolution tree that comes out of of that you know how did vodka become gin and then become other aquavits or were there other aquavits before you know it's a good quite historical question to ask and how did brown spirits become you know bourbons and and then how did the american whiskey thing happen and at the end of the day you know just to make a very very long and interesting story short it's putting a pot in a part of the world and trying to make the best booze you can with what you have around you mm. so that's that was my thinking mm -hmm. i'm gonna and and I, t I knew that if i was gonna do that i would have to go deep into the bowl territory. <laughs> mm, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I sold everything. I became liquid, as they say. Mm. And, I just, uh, and I just moved down there. And uh, I spent uh, about nine months just backpacking, getting to know the local communities, understanding the, the, the identity of the place. You see, story is very important to a successful brand. Mm -hmm. I wasn't looking to make a successful brand. I was just looking to make the product first. But I realized very quickly that there's an amazing story there. Mm. There's a culture there of chicha. Now you guys are booze people, and there's a booze people in the industry know that chicha is a thing, you know? Mm. But most people think that it's the, the corn stuff that you get at elevation in Peru and Bolivia, and it's famous because, you know, the chicha morada, you, you spit into it and it ferments like that. And, mm -hmm. What have you? But actually, from from Panama and Colombia, Darien, all the way down to where we are on the eastern coast, southern eastern coast of South America, this chicha culture is any fruit. Mm. It's chicha is a word shared by the Amara and, and Mapuche, which basically means like a, a a fruity alcoholic drink. It's a fermented drink, mm -hmm. which is out of necessity as well because everyone throughout history couldn't drink potable water right yeah it's yeah. uh cider was was uh more healthy than water absolutely you know going back they, they to 300 it, years they, they give it to kids i think yeah. i mean without going on a huge tangent i think it was basically napoleon who had a big way in word in saying that because when he put sanit sanitation in paris which is the first city to actually have that mm. every, before that everybody was wasted yeah. everyone was drunk yeah you know, it was much safer to drink any kind of meaty ale, any kind of wine, any kind of anything yeah. than it was just to drink water. And we tend to forget that all of the historical figures and historical events were basically fueled by booze. Oh, yeah. Benjamin <laughs> Franklin was constantly <laughs> drunk, right? Roman, the Roman Empire was uh, like one of the, the their staples in the army was uh, red wine vinegar, mm -hmm. which was given to soldiers uh, instead of water, which... 
it's all often fortified with herbs. And- well, man, going back to Chile, you know, it, the Spanish brought the uva país from the Canary Islands, which is the most resistant grape. Okay, into South America. It's, it's, it's the mission wine the, the, for the churches sure. and stuff like that. They planted it there because they couldn't, but because they couldn't make good wine, they started distilling it, and that's how you got pisco. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's that's another example of how booze things happen. Right. And what I wanted to do was was take a punt and guess, you know, guessing that expanding the distillers map into Patagonia would be. Uh, would be something that would happen eventually. So if I didn't do it, someone else was going to do it, you know? And yeah. I was going to so be... So that, that's how you came onto this place. You were thinking, like, were you thinking ingredients when you thought of the place or how did the vision of that place, it's almost like it came to you in a dream or it came to you in meditation. <laughs> or you, no, you it, thought, it, it, it was, somebody's got to go down there and harness this power. I kept, I kept uh, <laughs> seeing myself... What would I have been doing 200 years ago mm. or 300 years ago? Mm. So it would have been a pot. Mm-hmm. It would have been the fruit. Whatever I can find that's out there. And, and, then, and then how would I flavor it to make it interesting if I was going to get a little creative? And that's when I went down this huge rabbit warren. It wasn't a hole. It was a warren. <laughs> a rabbit warren. Of, nice. of herbs. Because that's the thing about Patagonia, especially the Chilean side. You see, Patagonia... It's not a place. There's no legal description for it. It's two countries, basically from the 38th parallel down, but mm-hmm. even that's a debate, mm-hmm. okay? Because you ask uh, uh, someone who studies geography and stuff like that, they'll tell you it's like four environments and this and the other. You talk to some anthropologists, you'll see that there's like 16 different uh, cultural identities there. You talk to a government official, and they'll say Patagonia doesn't exist. Mm. You know, so there, it's 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 more like the ends of the earth mentality. It's the part of the world that was never really conquered by the the Spanish or the Portuguese. It was basically, I would I want to say something, nothing too controversial, but it was sort of sneakily stolen, while Chile was distracted by the Argentines because actually southern Argentina belonged to Chile at mm. first, mm. and then the Chileans were busy busy uh, busy fighting the Peruvians and other things, and the Argentines just walked in there and took their half. There was nobody there apart from the indigenous peoples, and they never banded together. And they certainly didn't call themselves Patagonians. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it was Magellan who kind of absolutely landed um, on that word it, or it, got it, close the, to the it. The word comes from Homer's Iliad, the the big giants, mm. because when they were sailing around there and they were they were they were going from one bay to another and trying to find food and firewood and everything. They would see naked people running around, and it's like, who lives here naked? Yeah, they must be superhumans, right? And I did in my research, I saw that that uh, the native Patagonians were bigger than yeah. the, than the Europeans who were coming down there. They're kind of like, oh, they were, they were, Damn. they were. So they see these footprints because on top of the sand is sort of volcanic and grainy, kind of like in Hawaii. Mm. So you leave a footprint there overnight or a couple of nights, it looks bigger. It just it falls oh, into yeah. itself. I know that from big, oh, cool. Bigfoot research. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's crazy. So what happens is the um, you find any mushrooms down there while you were looking for Bigfoot? I'm talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Feel him. Anyway, so what Uh-oh. I'm get, what I'm getting is like you get uh, you you get people from outside calling them Patagonia. All right, mm-hmm. and there was actually a treaty between the French and the Spanish because the French were meddling in there as well, with uh, the Mapuche tribes 
late in the 1500s, right? And they were basically signing deals with some of the tribe's leaders who were doing all sorts of weird negotiations. And they called one of them, who didn't have the title, the Prince of Patagonia, mm. referencing Magellan. Mm. And so it's like, what the hell's going on here? Yeah, It's like, for me, very long story short, because I'm all about long stories, as you can probably tell. That's now. good. It's a podcast. Okay. <laughs> but for, for, for me, it's like, it's the ends of the earth in many different ways. Mm-hmm. It's the last place humanity conquered it, because genetically, we know we came out of Africa. We did the whole Asia thing. We don't know if we came through the land bridge or if we came across on canoes from Polynesia, mm-hmm. which I've got an, another interesting tangent on that. Okay. But... Basically, it's the last place populated by man. Mm. Okay, it's it's the place that was never really taken over by the Europeans. It's the place that never has a definition of its own. Yet, when you go there, you feel the identity. It's almost like you're living in a parallel universe. If you've been to the Rockies and stuff, or Canada, oh yeah, or the Pyrenees, I'm from the Rocky Mountains, Colorado. Well, you go there, mm. and you go from one angle, looks a lot like it. But then, when you see, we have 91 active volcanoes. Mm. You know, so when you see that, you go, it's not the same. And you say, oh, look, that looks like a forest. And then you smell it, and then you look at the trees, and it says, not quite the same. Mm. Um, the animals are pretty unique to that part of the world, uh, especially the birds, a lot of hummingbirds and stuff. So, And there's like a couple of the biggest birds in the in the world are down there. Yeah. Like huge birds. Yeah, so, so, so and the seafood and the, uh, the whales, the whales, the blue whale basically goes there to breed and and give birth there. It's a magical place. It's a very daunting place. So you're mm-hmm. very very exposed to nature there. Mm-hmm. You feel you feel like, you know, you it's funny I was talking about this the other day. You know, people think oh, Patagonia makes you like big and manly and like, you know, conquerors on the contrary. People that live in Patagonia are super respectful of the weather, the wind, you know. Yeah, you have to be, I everything. imagine, because it—I'm uh, sure it makes its presence known. Yeah, it's like you know, you get you get these people coming in from all over the world. They're like, you know, I'm gonna go and climb that mountain. Everyone's saying, you know, we had like six people die on that, like like last yeah. year. You know, take it easy, baby. Have know? a trickle and uh, chill out. <laughs> chill yeah. Out. Let's get back to some of the ingredients of what makes trickle what it is. Uh, we haven't got there yet, so tell us like what goes into. Okay. Making Tricol. Tricol, the sort of the, the product description is triple distilled, uh, fruit based, which is then a, in a second and third distillation uh, uses uh, a, a mix of berries, concentrate in the second distillation. And these are berries that are native to that area? Absolutely everything mm-hmm. is native and endemic. Mm-hmm. The apples all over the world, but the, as you as you have seen in some videos, and if you ever research Tracal, you will see that the apple varieties there are pretty much located there and are unique to them, mm-hmm. okay, because they've been there forever. And then the real trick are the essential oils. Mm. We have seven indigenous herbs that uh, we make essential oils during the year, blend them, and then in our proprietary designs, because I design and we build these pots. Uh, we vapor infuse that mm. into the into into the into the alcohol. Mm-hmm. So what comes out? It's it's almost like a perfume maker's trick mm-hmm. to get the flavor in there. And that's what a lot of people have described when they taste it. Is there's a certain aroma? 
Mm-hmm. That's what I noticed too the first time mm-hmm. uh, when Aaron. Shout out to Aaron Barnett, Spirit Animal Co-op, um, who's championed Tricol ever since I heard about it. Um, and thanks to Aaron, she gave you a ride here too. She's out yeah. running some errands now, but she'll be back. So uh, shout out to Aaron, and available uh, through Best Brands here in Nashville. Mm. But that was one of my first impressions of it. Was wow, this smells like nothing I've ever smelt before even before i tasted it well we have we have these uh people visit for us and i take them into the backwoods so they can hear the puma screaming hunger mm. and i make them <laughs> make them scared yeah <laughs> and run away but you know joking joking aside you know they're walking around and they'll they'll go into certain areas uh like the laurel forests and uh, and and uh, and the depa uh, forests and stuff and they go oh this smells like tracal hmm. and i giggle to myself and then i stop them around and then i scold them i say no it's not that this smells like tracal tracal smells like this oh yeah yeah that's the whole point yeah and this is part of the reason why the local people have really taken to it i mean you, you get people for who are originally from the south because they don't really call it patagonia they call it el sur you know mm. the south mm-hmm. of um of chile and they go uh, and live in Santiago or whatever, and then they buy a bottle, and then they write to us saying, oh, this really makes me uh, think of home oh, and yeah. childhood. And I'm sure they're proud of it. They're very proud of it, mm. and, and we're very humbled because of that. I never expected that. That's why it's part of the reason why I very, very uh, humbly insist I didn't make Tracal. If it wasn't me, some other monkey would have done it. Mm. Okay, It, it would have been them. Okay. It's like a song falling out, out, you know, from the sky. That's what a lot of, uh, you know, of our, our favorite uh, songwriters, so some of the classic rock folks, they would say, you know, well, I didn't really write that song. It just sort of fell out of the sky. It just and I caught it. It makes sense. Yeah. And uh, uh, we're we're very very humbled. If, uh, when I started out Tracal, and I I did this thing basically just. For me, because I couldn't get, it was like an, an itch. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get rid of the idea. Mm-hmm. It was driving me nuts. And I was at a crossroad in my life when I says, I want to do something for myself. I always wanted to move back to uh, South America. And I always wanted to, because the, my personal story was that I was born in Argentina, but I, I lived in Europe and in North America. And that's where I had all my career and, and my life. But and that's I, where you grew up? Yeah. 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 And 17 then, years in London. Mm-hmm. That's where I had my first beer, my first game of rugby, my first girlfriend, yeah, my first gin and tonic, you know, my first job. And some something brought you back, or something was telling you you had to get back. Yeah, and I mean, explore I, this area. Uh, I tell I tell a story, but it was like um, um, it was one of my birthday, one of my birthdays. I'm having lunch with my family and my dad. You know, we were like three bowls of wine deep <laughs> and having a, a great time with some family and friends. And my dad said. So, what, son? What are you gonna do with your life? Mm-hmm. And it was like, I don't know, Dad, but I'm I'm gonna go to Patagonia. And he goes, I know you loved it there, but what are you going to do there? Mm-hmm. You don't know anybody there. You're just gonna freeze your backside off. And I just pounded the table, bang. I went, I'm gonna open up a distillery. And his face was like, that actually sounds really good. Nice. It's yeah. probably the only good idea I've ever had in your life. <laughs> And and I saw that face, and it's actually the only time in my life where I've never really lied to my old man because, you know, back by then we were sort of like working together. He was retiring, and that's why the reason he asked me that question is, "What are you going to do with your life now?" I'm retiring, 
And I didn't want to lie to him. I said, you know what? I've already booked the tickets. I'm going down there, writing the business plan. Mm. I'm going to figure out what we're going to make. And I, that's what I did. Wow. I mean, that night, I was just like, it just came out of me. I, I had been festering this idea for a long time, several years. Mm. Why doesn't Patagonia have his own spirit? It, it, and I would expand it out. So why doesn't Patagonia have his own mineral water brand? Mm. Why, why doesn't Patagonia, why isn't it represented in the drinks business? It's interesting. Um, the most amazing footage I've seen of Patagonia was uh, the Francis Mallman chef's table. Yeah, I mean, he's, episode, he, he's which, literally the other side of the Andes of where, where we are. Which is like, the yeah, it's like the other side of the world from where you are. Um, so I imagine it's a completely different area. And I know that in, in uh, Patagonia, there's desert, there's like forest, yeah, there's saying, the, rainforest. I, yeah, yeah, you ask just, a geography person, yeah. it's a whole bunch of different parts to it. Yeah, Where we are, which is the northern part of the Chilean Patagonia, we're on the 42nd parallel. It's some of the newest land on the planet. Basically, the Atlantic uh, plate is crashing into the Pacific plate. That's why you have the volcanoes. That's why you know, the, the volcano, the, which is our like clubhouse, it has a refuge on it. It's called mm-hmm. uh, the Volcano Sorno, or Sorno Volcano. It has a refuge out there. We'll have a shout out to, to Cristobal there, Teski. Uh, anyone who's been down there to visit us is going to go there. We have uh, about 250 microquakes a week. Whoa. Okay? Wow. There. It's like you, you're getting a, f- a f- different frequency, like a buzz there. It's not the altitude. It's the fact that this place is like moving. It's alive. Moving. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. And to the tune of about three or four inches, I believe, per year, the Pacific um, Ocean floor is getting repaved mm. and pushed out towards Asia. You know, so what are you having? What's going on there? You have a huge churning of rock and soil. Mm-hmm. You have a huge amount of elevation change uh, from the Pacific to the Andes, which is the largest amount of rock in on the planet. Mm. Okay, the Andes where we are are about four miles high. All right, within two hundred and fifty, well, about one hundred eighty miles or two hundred fifty kilometers from the Pacific. Mm. So all the Pacific moisture just goes straight into that. All right, the Earth is churning. Huge elevation changes. If you're a winemaker, it's terroir heaven. Yeah, it's too it's too cold for wine. But but what what happens is that all the flora and the vegetation there, it's 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 morphing into itself. Mm. It's changing all the time. Mm. It's that's why that makes it so unique. And it's water rich. We're privileged. The man, the water where we are, and why I picked this particular area for, to to put the distillery. Mm. There are two huge lakes, I mean, significant lakes, uh, Rupanco and Yanquiwe. They don't drain out by rivers. Mm. They only drain out underground. It forms this huge aquifer and underground rivers that go back out into the Pacific. Okay? So we just plop a a hole underneath our distillery. And you're there. 20 liters a second, 6.8 pH. Wow. It's never touched the atmosphere so there's no air pollution to it the water is impeccable mm. is it uh glacier water uh, it, no it's most well yes and no but it's it's basically anything that's wa- collected in these lakes mm. all right the there's glacial uh water coming off the andes that drains into those lakes mm-hmm. but it's also capturing rain mm-hmm. but the point is it's filtered through this volcanic mostly volcanic rock mm-hmm. so it's mineralized and it's it's pristine 
and will always will be. I mean, people have a thing about um, glacial uh, water because it's older. But don't forget, that's been exposed to the atmosphere. And we've been sure. screwing up the atmosphere for, for about 200 years. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, Certainly. So it's never going to be as good as freshly filtered, rock-filtered water yeah. that comes from underground. Makes sense. Wow. Yeah, Tricol is really, um, and we talked about this a little bit before we started, but we should talk about it now as well. Um, it's such an expression of terroir almost more than any other spirit. Um, I mean, you've got rum, which shows sugar cane. You've got tequila, which shows agave. I mean, you've got the mezcal and different agave ca- uh, categories mm-hmm. that show um, kind of that that plant mm-hmm. and and what's done to to make it what it is. But you've got something that's showing the water. It's showing the the local flora. The orchards there, um, you've really got a amazingly like terroir-based spirit. Well, it's just how I cook, mm. to be honest. I mean, I'm the kind of guy that loves to cook, and so I'm I'm rating the the herb cabinet and the, yeah. <laughs> and the sauce cabinet when I cook. That's how I cook. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I just I, I I maybe went overboard with the complexity because I saw so many ingredients, you know. Yeah. But Trical's the first. I mean, there are there are some specific herbs and fruits that deserve to be expressed by themselves mm-hmm. down there, and that's that's in the pipeline. We're developing that, and we're also looking at a vermouth, mm. but only made with Patagonian ingredients. Love so, vermouth. I've ma- made some myself. Okay, so uh, the point of of what I wanted to do was to move a pot down there to make a distillery. I had no idea what Trical was going to be. I, I, the name came way after when I developed the product. How did you uh, get to that name, Trical? I, I had, I'd been working with some other names. A big shout out to Ben Long, my business partner, long-suffering co-founder, loving with death. He's my brother forever. Okay? Nice. He and I had come up with some names. <laughs> I was thinking like, you know, let's put give us some historical context. Why don't we call it like... You know, firewater, like vodka's firewater and stuff, mm-hmm. or whiskey vow, which is the, sort of the root of whiskey, which means water of life. Mm-hmm. Why don't we give it that kind of spin in the local dialects? And we found that most of that stuff had already been registered, mm-hmm. okay, by uh, just like tourism places and whatever, and, 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 and being used. And we thought, no, no, it has to be more original. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, um, one of the first people I met and started uh, working with us is a guy called Daniel Vergara Levican. He's from the local communities, and he's uh, he's my right hand man. In fact, he's my right hand and my left hand down there because he basically runs the distillery. And um, uh, he is from the uh, Huiche uh, community there. Huiche are the the Mapuches from the southern coast of Chile. Mm. Che means people. Huiche means southern coast. And uh, through him and some of the people from the local community had met before, we just started picking different words together. Tercal is actually two words. That's why it's got the blue dot in the logo in the middle. Okay. Tra is courage, valor. Ka is an act. So it's an act of courage. But mm. when set together, it's like the first warrior. It's like, it's not the general or the captain of the army, It's it, but it's the bravest guy. Yeah. It's the first one. It's to the guy take. who's going out first. And And <laughs> like my old man says, you know, it's a, an appropriate name because we're the first distillery doing its own thing yeah. in this part of the world. Yeah. And I in- actually encourage other people to do it. I, mm. I mean, nothing would make our mission more 
successfully realized uh, than if other people came in and 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 just started to to do things kind of in, in the right way, I would say, of using local ingredients, only sourcing the making the alcohol themselves, because that's the other thing we don't touch. You know, neutral grain alcohol. We don't import anything else. We make the juice yeah. ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But but the but the whole point is, we're we're just trying to get that people understand the Patagonian booze is a thing. Yeah, we're trying. That's our mission: make Patagonian spirits a thing. Well, that's what's so fascinating. You you've uh, kind of created a new category in well, a way. Legally, and... we have, but we yeah. we had no idea yeah. uh, that that was going to happen. Yeah, we thought we might have been categorized as someone like a fruit-based brandy, which had been flavored and stuff. Mm. But when we submitted in Chile, in Europe, and the U.S., the U.S. is specifically because it's the first one that actually made a decision. We submitted our our, our samples and our affidavits and and gave them. The, they they came back with our, a description, mm. which is apparently, according to our, our uh, intellectual property lawyer, is the first time since 1947. That they came up with a specific description for a product. Wow! So they're not classifying it in a pre-existing category. They gave it its own description. Wow. The U.S. government did something that had uh, some level of nuance, intelligence, <laughs> and actually was the right thing. Wow, that's weird. Well, it <laughs> Listen, is, it's because it we're weird. Seven I'm decades. shook. I'm shook. They did it once in seven decades. That's a good point. Okay. <laughs> wow. Um, well, yeah, that's a, that's it's incredible. Cause, it's because we're weird. I mean, I, yeah. I, I remember submitting the forums and stuff like that, and they probably looked at it and said, well, these guys are nuts. Let's, let's throw them a bone. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, I like this guy. Um, but it, it also happened in Europe, and it happened with the SAG, which is the equivalent authority in Chile. I mean, it, and, and I guess when you try it, you do understand that it is different. Yeah. So over at the bar at Audrey, where I'm the bar manager, we have um, we've made several different because we change the menu weekly, and we've made several different Tricol cocktails using some of our local herbs and blending some of that in. We made some really great Tricol cocktails with pear mm-hmm. um, back when it was pear season. Right now on the menu this week upstairs at Audrey, we, we're doing uh, we're basically throwing like these beautiful local blackberries mm-hmm. into a tin throwing some tricol in there, and then a tiny amount of an angelica bitters that we made. Angelica root. Mm-hmm. Oh, rock on. Yeah, so good. Yeah. So we, um, and then a bunch of other botanicals are in the bitters, but it's really more of a, a focused like angelica bitters. And we're mashing all that up, straining it, and that's, and people are loving it. It's one of the most popular drinks right now upstairs. But what cocktails, and Kenneth, I want to hear what cocktails you've been making with it, but what cocktails um, are you tasting as you travel around? Because you were just in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. You've been in America. You've probably been all over the world with this stuff. Mm-hmm. What kind of cocktails are you seeing out there? And Because um, there's so much you can do with this stuff. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I've, uh, I, I was, I, I've always been a man that's enjoyed a cocktail. Okay, don't get me wrong. But I was never uh, the guy making them. So when I made Tricol, the first thing I did was to drink it straight. And I think that's one thing about Tricol. You can sip it. Definitely. It Mm -hmm. it just chilled. People tell me, what's the best way to drink Tricol? I say, uh, floating in a Patagonian lake in the summertime. Uh, There you go. Yeah. With a bottle bobbing around next to you. There you you go. Yeah. But uh, but that's the actual, like, 
experience uh, the best serve, as they say. But okay, yeah, you could do that on the river here. <laughs> Absolutely. Float it down the river. Yeah. I know I know. my buddy Ben uh, does that in the Shenandoah Valley because he's from West Virginia, so he takes it down on his river boats. But going back to the cocktails, I think we're on that part of the journey where people are getting to know it. So what they do is they, they, they put a new riff on a classic cocktail. Mm. So it goes down a Negroni uh, road. It goes down a Sour Road. It mm. goes down a Mojito Road. It goes down a Paloma Road. And obviously, with tonic, it's just crushable. Yeah, that has been a thing that we've noticed uh, around this country and beyond, uh, that Tricol and tonic, that's a thing. It's a yeah, thing. It, I think often enough I use it as a, don't, don't take any offense, Sebastian, as like a gin substitute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Wonder, perfect. Do people ever argue that it's a gin? Do you, well, or, and they, they, they know that, I mean, a gin is usually made with a grain alcohol and it has to have juniper. There's no juniper. It's not, yeah. it's fruit based. We I'll tell you what we use specifically. We use two types of mints, two type of laurels, canelo, which is a completely native uh, 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 tree, which is actually sacred yeah. to the Mapuche. Yeah, that's is that uh, like a cinnamon? No, no. that's. Uh, do you use the leaves or do you use the bark? The I'm leaves. familiar with that. Oh, the cool. Leaves. That's where um, ca- canelo. Canelo. Yeah. So that's called. Um, winter winter's bark oh cool it's a uh it was actually uh it was the first cure for scurvy oh it's got oh, wow. vitamin c's and stuff oh yeah them. that's amazing yeah and that and there is a type of canelo there on the coast which what they do is they make a tea out of it and when they when the the communities get together what they do is they burn the bark as well that creates like a uh, an ambience in their in their nawen which is like the clubhouse of wow. the community now, clubhouse. that's like a like a like a clove like similar to clove or like uh... yeah when they do the bark but we use the leaf Mm. and for me the leaf it gives it a citrusy almost uh basil basil Mm. uh thing to it oh cool yeah and then we have paramela which paramela in english is known pampas grass okay again it's been used as an infusion and large antibacterial properties and stuff but what really gives tracal i think its own its own identity is tepa tepa is i love it i, mean, I love the story behind tepa tepa is uh, its survival strategy is to look like a laurel and actually grow within between the barks of the laurel tree almost oh, wow. like a it's not like a parasite, or it, but it's sort of like symbiotically protects itself by growing alongside the larger, because it's smaller than a than a regular laurel. Okay, uh, and there's laurel forests there, mm-hmm. so its survival strategy is to look like laurel and oh, to wow. grow up within it. Except it's got um, it's it looks like a laurel leaf, but it's got a slightly serrated edge. Laurinopsis filipana is the is the genus filipana mm. filipana from Philip, who's the botanistic register. Laurinopsis. Mm means like laurel Mm -hmm. it doesn't have anything genetically associated with laurel it's it's totally its own thing from the 38th parallel to about the 44th parallel from about 100 meters above sea level to 700 meters so it was completely endemic to this part of the world okay and that is what sometimes people confuse it with anise Mm. but it depends what part of the world you're from some parts of the world they confuse it with fennel other people confuse it with and he's, but it's its own thing. And I, you know, people say, oh, well, Trakel tastes a bit like Sambuca or tastes a bit like a, 
Anuzo and an Iraq or whatever says, okay, do the side by side comparison and you'll see that it doesn't. It just, yeah. your memory takes you there. Right. Because that's how the mind works. Right. We've factors. got to classify it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We, we put it towards, but you're actually building your own, you're expanding your memory bank mm. of, of, of flavors and stuff with, with Trical because these are pretty much unique. And like we have two mints and you go, oh, it tastes like mint. There's like 1,500 different types of mints on the planet. Yeah. All right, we have two that actually, if you put them side by side fresh, they don't even look like mint, you sure. know? One is the Alemana, because they call it, that means German in Spanish, but they call it because the, 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 the German colonizers there back in the 1840s and stuff like that, they started using it in cake preparations and teas and stuff like that. So the local people started saying, oh, the Germans are using it, so we're calling it that. Mm. It's got a huge leaf. It's, um, it looks like a eucalyptus leaf. It's very long. Okay. Very, oh, wow. l- very, very interesting. I'll have to show you the Tennessee mountain mint that I grow. I'll Wonderful. bring some today. Is that, does it grow on the side of the rivers? I think up in, so varieties of it do grow in like Appalachia. And I don't know about the side. Yeah, I guess the side of rivers would make sense. Yeah. Well, 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 the other type of mint we use is called the Chilean water mint. That's the translation. Mm-hmm. And it grows at elevation in of the Andean streams. And it's very small. It's got a tiny leaf. It looks mm. almost like a spearmint. Mm. And it's got a huge purple flower on it. Whoa. On a cone. And Jeez. you think, That's how crazy. could it be mint? Yeah. One is long and thin like a eucalyptus leaf. And the other one looks kind of like, you know, a flower bush, a bushy flower with a huge purple thing. Wow. And you smack them both. And you sort of activate them. That's, mm. that's what you do. You mm-hmm. smack them, you know. Yep. And you're getting mints, but it, it's different mints. Mm. And, and that goes to show, go back to what I'm saying about the, the, the youngest land on the planet. These different elevations, the moisture that's coming in, the sunlight's coming in. It's It's sort of evolving, creating little... A mini experiment. Uh, it's like Nature's, a different world, yeah. Like Mother Nature's little lab. Mm. That's amazing. So, what was your first experience with this with this area? Like, what was it? Well, that... apparently, I was conceived there on my parents' honeymoon. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> it just brought you back to uh, the original <laughs> selling point. The original place. <laughs> But my first experience—I mean, we it's a romantic went, place, is what you're saying. Uh, yeah. I, I think if you if you have half a, a half a heart, you can't, and and you are the type of person that looks beyond themselves. And I, I say this uh, with all sincerity: if you're if you if you if you look at the ocean, or if you look at the sky, or the stars at night, Patagonia has all of that in ton loads. Mm. But. I bet light pollution not as much of an issue uh, down there. Well, you see some of the videos that we have on our website. All those, all the photographs are ours. We mm. take those. Mm-hmm. Right? Shout out to Les uh, in Colorado, uh, Planet Five Productions. Uh, he's another brother of ours. He's oh, been cool. there about four or five times, and he comes and and shoots for us all the pictures and stuff like that. And he's he's taken these like time lapses of the Milky Way from the top of the volcano and stuff. Whoa. And yeah, the light pollution is not an issue. It's absolutely beautiful. It's amazing. Ah, incredible. All right, well, you ready to do some booze news? Yeah, yeah, sure. All right, and the time has come. (laughs) Booze news with Kenneth Dedman. The summer's getting hot. Kenneth keeps us cool. What's booze worthy out there? That's (laughs) good. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I guess you want to start with the elephant. Sure, the elephant in the room. <laughs> Rudy Giuliani 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fueled to policy fueled Alcohol by beers. Alcohol fueled yeah. insurrection. I guess he was the most recent uh, gentleman to be thrown under the bus um, in the uh, Trump, Trump scandal, apparently. Says, says many witnesses, Rudy Giuliani was drunk and advising President Donald Trump not to accept Joe Biden's uh, election results and instead declare victory against any, any evidence whatsoever. Now, Giuliani denies it and also... But does uh, he remember it? <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. Is he culpable if he doesn't? <laughs> he was drunk, right? <laughs> I don't know. Honestly, like, uh, I don't think... Plausible deniability that they call it, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, judge, I was... I can't even remember what I did. I mean... <laughs> yeah. Couldn't have done anything. <laughs> Had a lot of scotch and uh, hair dye. Scotch and hair dye cocktail. Giuliani claims that um, he was not drunk, and his favorite beverage is, uh, is Diet Pepsi. Which is somewhat ironic Whoa. because PepsiCo just probably within three hours of uh, before Rudy Giuliani declared Diet Pepsi his favorite drink, they declared like uh, the highest profits of all time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, uh, they were up uh, like something, something like 500% or up 0.5, so one half over a year, which is like most astronomical jump in Pepsi products of all time only to have their stock drop within four hours time pretty cool shit is this like the new cola wars because trump is is like a avid diet coke drinker uh yeah he is he is it's like he, he's famously drinking like 24 cans a day of diet is coke. there any difference between the two really though i don't know mate I drink Patagonia to the people stuff. to the folks that folks that are addic- that are into diet cokes. It, it is a bit, there is a big difference. I don't drink a whole lot of diet sodas, so there's no difference. Maybe I should. I've got a couple of extra pounds on me. I don't <laughs> think diet sodas is the way it, you have to be drinking sodas for a diet soda to be a diet soda, right? Compared to a regular soda, that's the thing. Well, well, we'll cover this on the diet soda episode later. <laughs> I just wonder, like, to drink a diet soda, you actually have to drink a, uh, a real soda, right? Yeah, I guess so. Whatever. <laughs> Giuliani was the mayor of, uh, of New York City. Once upon a time. Yeah. yeah. Was he a good mayor? I think it's debatable. I think he was popular. Um, he was popular. He was popular towards the end of his term. At the very end um, of his terms. Yeah. And then but. he tried to, to hold on to office. He tried to be become the permanent mayor of right. New York. A lot of people don't realize that. Like this, so move, he had experience move, trying to seize was power straight out of his playbook. From, right, right. From like uh, 2006 or so. Mm-hmm. What a crook! And he he was against crooks. Didn't Machiavelli a, say well, he, that? Yo. You know the, the he wrote the Prince. Yeah, the librarian. Know, yeah, uh, he used to say the number one job of the politician is ident- to identify. His uh, nearest uh, threat and challenger, and eliminate it. And the goal is to retain power. And so, if you are a true politician, in the old school sense of the world, that's all they want to do: keep power, Re- retain yeah. power by vanquishing your enemies, completely you destroying them. them to the point where no one would ever would ever want to challenge your mm-hmm. your rule. Yeah, Machiavelli. Wow, good shit. Yeah, he was makes an appearance on the pod. Flor- Florence. Yeah, he was like an, a, a counselor to the Medici or yeah. whatever. Good stuff. And a great album. You like Tupac? 
Love it. Fuck yeah, man. All right. Well, uh, on the same note, um, according to studyfinds.org, um, um, of 1,000 people uh, polled in the UK, 51% believe in ghosts. Mm. Which is 1% more than people have faith in, in government. Right. And like half of them believe that racism is real. Isn't that the... They believe in ghosts, but not racism. <laughs> well, 38, 38, 38% of those polled believed it, believed in Big Brother, mm. leaving, what, like 62% of folks that do not believe uh, the government is following your every move, mm. every thought. 23 people, 23% believed in astrology. Mm. 12% magic. This is wow. related to the fact that they drink a lot in the UK. That's why it's uh, tied into the booze news. I, think I don't know. I was just like, uh, I was going to just keep hitting on the government for a little <laughs> while. Like, well, uh, I actually grew up in the UK. And I t- my experience is that it's full of ghost stories. Mm. It's it's absolutely part of their national identity. I mean, how could you come up with like the Harry Potter things and Tolkien and Lord sure. of the Rings and all of the other ghost stories and stuff? If you don't grow up there, they fill your head up with that as a kid. You know? Yeah, what are you, they trying to do? Just like I, scare I, you a little bit, keep I, you in line? I think there, there must be some of that, but 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 it's also full of castles and old homes and everything's spun in a yarn and a story. Mm, mm. And it, ghosts just make things more interesting, don't they? Yeah, for sure. The stories get better over time too. Yeah, they get bigger. The pub, oh my god, last night the chair flew across the thing. We, you know, that 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 brings more punters in to have a pint. You know. Yeah, sure. And you know, I'm. It's not far from where I grew up or lived. You know, I lived in Boulder for a while. We got married up near Lyons, and pretty close to there is the Stanley Hotel, oh, which from is the, definitely the Shining. which is definitely haunted. Um, there's rooms in the Stanley you can't even really stay in. So. I believe in ghosts, dude. I thought I, I thought I, I thought I had contacted or I, were contacted I I had, or? about a week ago. Oh, I was in my backyard, like, dude. It was late. It was like uh, twelve thirty. I was back in like my little. I got this little area, um, it's, you know, like green trees. There's a little uh, shed there with the mm-hmm. moss growing. Your on own top. personal Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just like uh, I usually just sit out there and smoke a spliff or something chill out late at night i just heard, like heard this little girl laughing oh boy i like uh kind of just like froze i didn't like move it's kind of weird cause, you know like if like to think of something i was trying to if it was a ghost i didn't want it to know that i knew that it was there uh-huh. so i was just playing it cool i guess or trying to play it cool but i like started to slowly got up and I, then i hear this little girl go mommy oh christ holy shit dude like uh so like that was when i decided i had to like take off running but i couldn't dude i like could barely move my legs slowly well i was like like i mean it's 20 yards from where i was standing back there in the yard to the back door and it felt like it took like so you're not a negroni drinker wow um, I like Negronis. You like them, but would you choose? Do you like bitters or more of a sweet thing? B- bitter, bitter for sure. All right, he's yeah. a bartender. Well, he should be. <laughs> well, you know the the reason I bring this up is because it's it's making me think about why we react in fear. Mm. Okay, I used to study anthropology, mm. and imagine four and a half million years of evolution. 
you know, we were in small family groups and social groups and stuff. If we heard a, a noise out in the backwoods, like you're describing, we to survive, we want to th- we want to need to want to think that it's a predator or uh, a rival group or whatever. So we want to react to it. Mm-hmm. Okay, we don't want to walk around. We yeah. don't want to be prey. Yeah. Okay. So immediately there's that wiring that goes in through evolution to the survival instinct. For example, you know not to eat stuff which is funny colored not to eat stuff that sa- smells sure. rancid not mm-hmm. to, and, and bitters eat fruit and and herbs and stuff like that are not conducive to that mm-hmm. stuff that's sugary stuff that smells fresh that's the kind of stuff we want to uh, scavenge and and eat and and harvest and or collect but how do we get to where we are now over all these years of evolution you need that 15 percent that drink negroni mm. No, seriously. Right, right, because they're the ones that could tell that, that there's you medicinal need, exactly. quality. Yeah. So you need to overcome that fear of the noise in the night. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, you, you retain, we have this duality where we have, we retain that fear of the unknown and we love ghost stories and we, because it makes us feel like a fear. Mm. But we also have to sort of go into the haunted house. And we make that right. in every decision that we make when we try a different flavor. You know, when we choose a, to eat a different thing or to go into a different country or to go into a different location or whatever. So, you know, that's why I asked. No, know, that's I, good. Yeah. Are you part of that 15% or are you part of that 85%? Yeah. And where in the spectrum do you sit? I, I always toy with that because I'm I'm a risk taker. Yeah. So right. I have to I have to sort of justify my actions to myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> I'm way away from the 85%. I'm like, you know, and you know who shares those these characteristics? You know? Fellow Patagonians, <laughs> artists, musicians, oh, yeah. but also criminals and politicians. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, I fall somewhere there's common in there. ground somewhere. somewhere there's we're sharing ground. something with Rudy. You know? Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Imagine if you uh, art, what, what, artists, musicians, uh, uh, politicians, criminals, and politicians. Uh, yeah. Mm. I wonder if you could. If it's you could like the Warren Zevon song, lawyer, "Lawyers, Guns, and Money." <laughs> oh, I love Warren. <laughs> guns and Warren. Warren Zevon. Yeah. It's yeah. the best. Bring me uh, lawyers, guns, and money. Daddy, get me out of here. That's right. <laughs> Oh man! Any other booze news stories today? Yeah, yeah. Are we going down to Florida? Patagonia's got like uh, a Welsh population, does it not? On the on specifically on the Argentine side, a a town called Rosen. I I I have like long lost cousins there with red hair, cool sheep farmers and stuff. They they went there. A lot of Scots and Welsh and Irish went to build the railroads in South America. Sure. Okay, and. They, they, they found also the Germans as well in the in different parts of Patagonia, like um, like a landscape, a geographical landscape, very similar to what they had back in the old continent. So that made them feel, hey, shit, we could do, you know, sheep farming here, or mm-hmm. we can do this or that and the other. And the Welsh uh, centered in Rawson, and in fact, they still sort of celebrate mass. Uh, in Welsh and the names of the, the the areas and the streets and stuff like that is is in Welsh and pretty much unpronounceable. Yeah, uh, yeah that's crazy. Wow. <laughs> yeah, they Man. got a, they got an interesting language, but they don't like it when you make fun of it. Make fun of it. So uh-huh. anyway, uh, we got a hero, a booze news hero. Oh, okay. Um, uh, we we focus every once in a while on like uh, mm-hmm. a boozing hero or uh, idiot, mm-hmm. and uh, try to 
distinguish between the two. And mm-hmm. uh, gentleman uh, Gareth Murphy, uh, an IT administrator in Cardiff, mm-hmm. um, broke the Guinness Book of World Records last week for most pubs visited in a 24-hour period. Legend. They chose uh, Cardiff, which is like the most pub, restaurant, bar heavy um, city city in, in Wales to mm-hmm. do it. Um, the city center boasts something like 300 pubs for uh, one half square mile. Pretty serious. Gareth, uh, Gareth ac- actually knocked it out within uh, 12 hours, which, what is that, like... Uh, Four four pubs and four pubs per hour, and he had a Not drink in each one of them. Yeah, well, uh, listen, fifty six is... pubs, twelve hours. Uh, but good man, small small drinks though. Well, I I went to I went to university in the in the UK, and one of my best buddies, uh, Evan Evan Russell, Welsh, and uh, every birthday, he'd take a big ballpoint pen. Mm-hmm. And for every year, every year he was alive, he would have a pint and mark it on him. On his arm? On his arm. He tattoo and, himself? No, just with a, bo- a pen. Oh, okay. So he'd have a pint. That was the first year I was born. I have another pint. Second year I was born. Oh, okay. All right. And like that. It's okay, it's okay when you're 18, because you can you can do an 18-pint session. Then it's a challenge. Yeah. But when you're doing it with him when you're like 27, 28, and th- or 30 years old... <laughs> Like we've done it. <laughs> wow. mo- we're talking some monster levels of uh, volume. God bless the Welsh man. I th- I'd like to believe there was a time I was really good at the one for one with folks, but I think those days are long gone. <laughs> By the way, Gareth is a twenty-seven year old young and like you can handle it then. He, so he's, he's done at least the twenty-seven marks. You know the twenty-seven notches. Which is that was about us. I couldn't go beyond that, you know. Yeah, Damn. that's insane. Well, they, well now, they they obviously like to drink uh, uh, and and put these challenges, you know, the Welsh. Oh yeah, <laughs> volume. Challenges. I'll throw it back. Well, G- Gareth, uh, actually, it wasn't the. It's funny you say that. He wasn't the. It wasn't the first time that he tried to break a Guinness Book of World Record. Yeah. Um, uh, he had previously attempted to uh, drink a liter of of uh, gravy fastest time oh, my oh God. man which was some, not a that good was something move. like four seconds uh, <laughs> i think my wife you know works in the er i think she's seen people that do stuff like that you know like yeah. trying to drink gravy too fast eggnog too or fast like uh, milk goes uh, down that, the wrong throat the yeah you choke elementary it's school is a gallon of milk and in i don't know like an hour if you could do that you're superhuman <laughs> well, isn't the um uh, I know there was a cricket player, an Australian cricket player, Boone, his name was. He was short, stubby, uh, handlebar mustache, famous drinker in a, was it 18-hour flight from London to Australia? He did something like 52 tinnies of beer. Wow. I think that <laughs> was, was like that Andre, was the, Andre the Giant status. Yeah. Sounds like a rugby player. It be, yeah, yeah, a cricket right. pre- he actually looked a bit like a rugby player, yeah. although he played cricket. And the round shoulders, yeah. I bet. I can picture him. Um, so Gareth uh, attempted also to uh, throw a rubber chicken farthest for a world record. Oh, wow. Um, do you spin it or do you have it tumbling? What's the most aerodynamic efficiency? I would way? think it'd be like uh, like they do the kind of, what is that thing? Shot put? Yeah, like kind of like a shot put thing where you turn around for... To get some torque, and then, like, almost like throwing the disc. 
you like turn around and like just heave it. I'm yeah. A disco spin like Dancing Queen. There you go. Yeah, and then release. Let's yeah. get to some rubber chickens this afternoon and see how. Far Let's give it a shot. Go. Yeah. I think I know where to get some. <laughs> oh, we, we just need one. <laughs> Throw it. You go stand there. And I just <laughs> aim at your head, Mike. We need a dog to go get them. And bring them back. Uh, Gareth also attempted to break a Guinness Book of World Records four-minute time of alphabetizing a can of SpaghettiOs. He did it in nine. Wow. He, Jesus, what a, a hero. He's an all-around hero. Man. Yeah, we need to send this guy down to Patagonia. Uh, there's some more shit. The famed Hong Kong floating restaurant. It's been open since uh, 1976. It's closed this week. The uh, the COVID pandemic mm. shut down mm. pretty most most restaurants in Hong Kong. Sure. Um, they said that they were hemorrhaging money. It had been before the pandemic. 46 years open. Mm. Uh, Queen Elizabeth dined there as well as Tom Cruise. I think I saw Shutting I saw down. that on a TV show where you could you could pick a snake and they would skin it on the side of the table and bring it back later and it was present as presented like the emperor's snake. Wow! On yeah, the, uh, those floating uh, yeah, restaurants. Yeah, it was. On uh, it was actually yeah, it was uh, designed to look like uh, the, the Jing Dynasty, like a palace, Jing Dynasty palace. Super cool. Wow, that's really cool. Pretty, like video of it. Like I'd never heard of it until earlier today. I was just trying to find some fucking filler. Um, well, we talk about shots on this show, and there is a shot where you um, snake blood. Or yeah, you do yeah. the you do the snake heart, the beating snake heart. Oh yeah. And you throw it into a, a shot glass that has like the local spirit, and you guzzle it down while the heart's still beating. Yeah, the soju stuff. Yeah. So maybe we, we'll cover that on a future shots episode. Okay. We'll do it. Yeah. Uh, Sister Andre of France is the oldest living uh, human being. Wow. Uh, she accredits uh, daily drinking red wine and chocolate. That'll do it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that just makes her happy. You, happy. Know, what, you, know, what yeah. the, you know what the Pope drinks? He's from Argentina. He is, yeah. Uh, Francisco. Probably everything. <laughs> it's a good guess. Uh, Tequila, right? Notably, lately, um, he is... That's right. He is, uh, it's speculated, and he's joked of uh, drinking tequila to mend his... His knee. He's got some knee problems. Good on him. Yeah, drinking tequila that, for the all, knee pain. All that, good, all that praying. Good advice. Yeah, that's the angel share. That's the Pope share, I think. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. The I got plenty more. Oh, yeah. Jack Daniels and Coca-Cola. Uh, that'll be the beverage of the summer. Probably the highest selling beverage of the, of the summer. Coca- Jack and Coke is coming back. Jack and Coke in a can. Oh. As a ready-to-drink beverage. Oh yeah, Coca-Cola's it took been them long enough with everyone. They've, they've uh, they got a thing going with Topa Chico that Mike Mike despises. Um, they're reviving <clears throat> reviving Fresca, the grapefruit brand. Fresca, as an Fresca was beverage. cool. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, Fresca was cool. Fresca and yeah, pizza good. was like my jam, like yeah. Friday night jam. Mm-hmm. Have you guys had on? that uh, sort of concentrated Coca-Cola that's almost like a coffee? No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. No. I but haven't had it. If coffee I find Coke. It, yeah, yeah, they've got it at all the gas stations here. It's fact. a it's sort mm-hmm. of like a pick-me-up kind of thing? Yeah. I'll have to try this. Do you like it? I like the idea of like uh, having like a Mexican Coke and coffee meshed into one. Mm. I Is might, it tasty? I might prefer to make my own coffee and get a, like a Mexican Coke, mm. but I've never had the canned Coke. And I'm pretty sure that that's corn syrup-based Coke. Mm. Coca-Cola in there, which is a strike against it. It's probably delicious. 
Yeah, I've had it. They probably tested it to death. Yeah, they they partnered with uh, Molson Coors. Blah blah blah. There's a. There's also some Canadian uh, t- uh, THC beverage company, the Coca-Cola. So how how does a company like Coca-Cola do this whole social responsibility thing and then get into dark world of booze? Very interesting. I mean, I, like, uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. Because they like to teach the world to sing, but, you know. They also like to uh, imprison people. <laughs> there was that time where... I hope the lawyers um, aren't listening. <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> They're, they they said they thought that a, a mystery ingredient for Coca-Cola was lost and they could no longer find them down in the rainforest of South a- South America. And then mysteriously they did find it. But I wonder at what cost. You know what I mean? Like they were running out of that mystery ingredient. They were like Coke's going to be taste it's going to taste different. And then they found it. And this was years ago, 5 10 years ago. So I wonder like what you know did they send like mercenaries down there to to go through the jungle and find like some kind of special bark they said that's the, the distrust we have of coca-cola <laughs> well it's not it's like bizarro uh yeah they sent the rock it's like bizarro <laughs> tricol when you look at these companies that are like uh like a beverage company and then kind of like compare the compare their like bottom line and their their value versus like a a mining company or a uh any precious metal company and mm. you realize like coca-cola is like four times larger than these other companies that do employ like mercenaries and hold like large portions oh of the, the, bu- land the business is in enough in all over Africa, right i mean I, I couldn't agree with you more i mean you need to protect that business they'll do whatever they can oh yeah uh, the they will protect their interests like uh i don't even know if we want to touch on the coca-cola chemist that was uh being imprisoned right now mm. for stealing uh, Coca-Cola's technology on BPA-free plastics mm. which, for uh, China. For China, yeah. Which begs the like uh, a lot of like economists would say, well, like we have to imprison these people that are stealing these secrets because it would be chaos, economic chaos without if, if patents and trademarks aren't honored. But surely something which is beneficial like that That's the other side of the argument right there yeah. is like uh, like uh, this possibly cancer stopping uh, technology that Coca-Cola wants to leverage. Because I, I just saw before I came here, uh, the TV was on at the hotel and they had an ad by the Coca-Cola Corporation saying, please recycle yeah. our bottles because they're free oh, of that's their a, stuff. That's a big mm. push that they're doing. So it's like, okay, if you really stand by what you say, which is great that you're doing it, I'm not knocking it. Okay, make it, encourage everyone else to do it. Yeah. I mean, I, I have that approach with Tracal. I'm making Tracal, but I want other distillers to go down there. I want other distilleries to open up. I think it's going to be great for the local communities that they have a, a unique, premium, recognized you know, and relatively unpolluting if you it done yeah. the right way. Yeah. The booze business is is not particularly. If you're making a premium product, it's not particularly harmful compared to the other things. It doesn't have right. to be. For right. Sure. It, uh, we try. And, we definitely don't do that because we don't have to. We'll charge. Yeah, I mean, there's a purity to it in the essence and in the uh, just the its history. It's you know, it's the, the way the it. way the way to do it. I mean. If you want to touch on this, but yeah. the, the way the way to do it is to uh, convert heat, so you retain the heat as much as you can, so you create a a, a, 
you know, for when you're condensing and heating up the pot and condensing the, the, the vapor, you have to manage those differences in heat. And you can do that. There's some technology for that. In fact, as we grow, we're going to be investing in the latest uh, models of those kind of equipments. Uh, and the water. And we reuse as much of the water as we can, even though yeah. we have more water to, than we need to ever use ever in the history of our potential. It's incredible. Uh, we, we, we still do that. Uh, the downside to the booze business is that you're basically putting a liquid in a heavy glass yeah. container, which then goes into a box, it goes into a truck, it goes into a boat, it, sometimes it goes into an airplane. So the carbon footprint in the distribution Sometimes it comes back. And sometimes it comes back. So now there are people, you know, that are working on that. Uh, Eco Spirits is one that comes to mind where they, they you send in, in large batches and they fraction it closer to the bars. And the, But it, exports are kind of difficult. But I, I know, for example, Diageo and Bacardi have looked at sort of like very lightweight containers, you know, cardboard yeah they've been working on the cartons for a while yeah and yeah. those and those things hopefully you know will create that kind of trend and we reduce the carbon footprint but the yeah. actual production doesn't have to be a problem yeah and you're helping the local communities and giving them we work with the local communities and collecting the herbs we buy the fruit in fact we've created a bit of a market for the fruit mm. you know because they know that we buy we buy the fruit and now you can go through it and use it Turn it into something beautiful. So, so it yeah. helps. And it's a more people open up distilleries and do it in the right kind of way down where we are to our community. It'll be fantastic. We should go down there, Kenneth. Let's do it. You're invited. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, we've, um, we've had some mutual friends that have gone down there. Oh, yeah. Kevin King. Let's throw him a shout out. Kevin, we love you. Kevin, we love you. Kev, I think he's the edge. one who. Ooh, I think he's the one who first told me about Tricol. Kevin King on this show maybe three years ago. Um, we love you, Kevin. Uh, well, this was amazing. We are running out of time here. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, my pleasure. I really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun and uh, illuminating and inspiring. I really enjoyed it, guys. I really Enlightening. It. Amazing. Sebastian Gomez, all the way from Patagonia, with Tracal, a new spirit category. The world's first and only Patagonian spirit. A real expression of terroir from the area. Get on their website and check out all the videos available here in town through best brands and th shout out to aaron barnett spirit animal co-op i think they've got it at uh, cork dorks and midtown reds um i think woodland's got it I believe i've seen it at woodland uh main street liquors i think they've got it so i've seen it around town you can find it and as always visit the website liquidgold.show our new website we can go through the archives we've got more summer of shots content coming up the book cheer a liquid gold holiday drinking guide will be coming out in november so look for that shout out to everybody at we own this town our producer michael eads Thank you, and michael. upright t-rex music for the tunes if you're outside um thanks for all of that because mm -hmm. um, that's a big help but uh, but if you're outside of this market yeah you can always uh and you're interested in getting a bottle shop we ship to 35 states in the u.s so incredible so you can get you know if you're listening i don't know in in some all over backwood wherever yeah uh or in some other market there's all information about how to get it uh but you can also get it directly delivered to your to your home awesome thank you so much Killer. all right kenneth always a pleasure to see you my brother my pleasure plenty of booze news to come and more summer shots content we'll have our cocktail correspondent miss jessica backus back with us soon shout out to jess matchin our liquid gold resident artist 
My name's Mike Wolf, and we'll see you next time right here on Liquid Gold. Later, Tater. <laughs>